You are listening to the weekly podcast of Greater Christ Temple in Lima, Ohio. We pray you enjoy today's message. Certainly happy to see everyone this morning. Luke chapter 8, verse 53. How many need a word from the Lord this morning? Thank you, Jesus. If we don't come to get a word, I don't know why we come. Luke chapter 8, verse 53. Just one verse we're going to read right now. If you have it, please say amen. Let's read it together. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. Let's read it one more time. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that that she was dead. For a subject, and some of you may have already seen it, I'm going to just talk for the next few minutes from this thought. What I thought I knew. What I thought I knew. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, just for even the visitation of your spirit this morning. And now, God, I ask that you would move in this place as you're already doing. God, touch our hearts, touch our minds, God. Allow us to hear from you, Lord, that we may be able to go forward in the things that you're calling us to, that we'll be able to be a light shining in this dark world. This is my prayer right now. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. What I thought I knew. How many of you know (laughs) that sometimes our minds can be pretty messed up? Anybody, can anybody agree with me? Sometimes my mind just gets messed up. I start thinking things that I know aren't true. I start having these thoughts coming into my mind that I know aren't right. They're not of God. And so I saw some hands go up that some of you can agree with me that sometimes my mind is just messed up. But how many of you actually, though, in spite of the fact that my mind is messed up a lot of times, how many of you really truly want the mind of Jesus? Yeah. We, we really want the mind of God. We, we, we're tired of being the way that we are and uh, our minds being as easily manipulated as they are. Well, there's three, there's three things that I want to show you today. If you will give me just a few minutes, there's three things I want to bring to your attention. Number one, I, I want to give you awareness. Somebody shout awareness. I want to give you some awareness of this simple fact. Why your reality that you see, your reality, is not always reality. I want to give that, bring you, bring you some awareness to the fact that your reality is not always reality. The second thing I want to bring out today is I want to give to you a tool. Somebody say a tool. I want to give you a practical tool on how to know if what you're seeing is what's really going on. If you're taking notes, these are good to write down. If not, that's okay. Just pay attention. But I want to give you a tool on how to know if what I see is what's really happening. And then the last thing is I want to give you a conclusion. Somebody say a conclusion. And the conclusion is this, that faith is much more important 
and much more reliable than knowledge. I'm going to say that again. I'm going to show you why faith is so much more important and so much more reliable than your knowledge. Is that all right? Amen. Luke chapter 8, verse 41. I'm going to drop down. We read verse 53, and it says, They laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. They laughed at him because they knew something that they thought he must not know. But we're going to drop down a little bit in the story. And it's a very familiar story. <clears throat> Luke chapter 8, verse 41. And I'm just going to read through it. You can turn to it if you want. But verse 41, and this is the New King James Version that I'm reading here. It says, and behold, there came a man named Jairus. How many of you have heard this story before of Jairus and Jairus' daughter? Okay, a few of us have heard this story. <clears throat> and Jairus was a man that was a ruler of the synagogue. Somebody say he was a ruler. All right. That means he had some power. He had prestige. He had position. He was somebody. He wasn't just a, a person uh, of just low estate, but he was a person of authority. But catch what he did here. He fell down at Jesus's feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. So just, I, I want you to get this in your mind here. Jairus, this man who has authority, he's a ruler in the synagogue. The people know him. The people respect him. And he comes to Jesus, humbles himself, and begs at Jesus' feet. I know in our position of, of who we are and uh, our, our prestige and our pomp and our circumstance, how many times can we say we've actually begged God for something? Uh, I know some deep folk will say, well, you don't have to beg and don't take all that. Well, maybe that's true, but all I know is here in this example, Jairus begged at the feet of Jesus. He needed something that was worth begging for. I hear the temptation saying, ain't too proud to beg. I don't know what that song is necessarily talking about, but here Jairus was not too proud to beg Jesus because he needed a big miracle. I like how Mark says it in his account of the story. He says that Jairus said to Jesus, my little daughter lies at the point of death. My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her. Why? That she may be healed and she will live. Jairus went to Jesus and he didn't just go say, Jesus, well, uh, sometimes like we do, it's, doesn't, this, doesn't this sound like us? Jesus, if it's your will, just heal her. Uh, uh, Jesus, please, if you want to heal her, like, uh, Lord. But whatever you say, Lord, that's, that's up to you. No, Jairus didn't do that. And I'm not knocking anybody's particular way they approach God. But what I want you to see is look at how Jairus came to Jesus and the confidence with which he came to him with. And he said, if you lay your hands on her, she will live. <laughs> Jairus set the conditions for what was going to happen in his situation. Have you ever been in a situation where you knew the outcome that you wanted to have? But were you bold enough to ask Jesus specifically for that outcome? Hmm. Jairus invited Jesus to come into his situation. I can't help but to think what would have happened to that little girl if Jairus did not go and invite Jesus into the situation. 
Uh, let's say Jairus did like some of us do and he got too busy. Or, or let's say Jairus uh, did like some of us do and uh, didn't want to be selfish and trouble Jesus with his little situation. But what if Jairus would have just stayed home and just, let's see what happens. Have you ever thought about in this situation, if Jairus had not taken the initiative to invite Jesus into his situation, what could have happened? Hmm. You see, Jesus only goes where he's invited. Somebody say that. Jesus only goes where he's invited. Hmm. How do I know that? Well, the Bible says that I stand at the door and I knock. Hmm. And then what does it say? It says, if any man let me in, I will come in. I will sup with him. Right? If any man let me in, meaning he's not coming in uninvited. He's not coming in unannounced. Now, juxtapose that with Satan and how Satan operates. We know the scripture, it says that Satan is as a roaring lion roaming around seeking whom he may devour. In other words, he's an intruder. Somebody say he's an intruder. But Jesus, I've heard it say, is a gentleman. He will only come where he's invited. And guess what, folks? He will never turn down an invitation. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, the reason why you don't see Jesus in your situation, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. It's not because he's not interested. It's because he wasn't ever invited. Uh, it doesn't matter how much in your mind you think you've invited him or uh, how much you think he should just show up just because you're who you are. But how many know you have to actually send him a personal invitation? If you want Jesus to show up in your family, why don't you invite him in? Uh, don't, don't sit back and say, well, I did that before. Do it again. <laughs> Maybe your invitation got lost in the mail. Maybe the fact that you had so many other things going in your mind, it didn't actually get to his throne. Uh, sometimes we can inhibit our prayers are inhibited because of lack of faith. Sometimes our prayers can be inhibited because we've got other junk going on in our lives. But we've got to know that Jesus, I don't want to get stuck here, but Jesus is wanting to come in. It says he stands at the door and he knocks. And so Satan, he oftentimes goes around and he's trying to find uh, a, a chink in our armor. He's trying to see whom he can devour. What that lets me know is that Satan doesn't just have carte blanche ability to attack anybody whenever he wants to. He has to have an opening. Somebody say an opening. He's seeking whom he may devour. And that's why it's important, people of God, that we stay covered in the blood of Jesus. That's why it's important that we stay in the house of God. That's why it's important that we keep our prayer life strong. Because if we don't, that's when we start to see the enemy showing up in our situation. And let me say this. I keep hearing it said, and I, I said this myself recently, and then the Lord of all places uh, disrupted me, as Elder White likes to say, in the shower. As I was literally thinking about this, and I was thinking, man, the devil is busy. And something just shook me and said, why are you saying that? The devil is not any more busy now than he ever has been. 
right? And I said, okay, that, that's cool, but uh, uh, what do you mean? He's not more busy. Here's the thing, though. Because of the way that some people operate and live their lives, I'm not talking to you unless it's you. He's just as busy as he's always been, but just because he's busy does not mean he's productive, I'm going to say that again for those that missed it. Just because he's busy does not mean he's productive. He can be busy all he wants, but that doesn't mean he has to have any ability or any power over you. It doesn't mean that he has to have any ability or any power over me. Because the Bible also says that when it comes to Satan, and I love this about the word, it says, and I love it about the authority we have, it says when it comes to Satan, all you have to do is resist him and he will <laughs> ah, what a promise that is right there. So if Satan does discover a chink in my armor, I've got the confidence to know that all I've got to do is stand firm and resist him, and he has no choice, but he's got to go. Somebody ought to give God a praise right there. The devil is an intruder. Don't ever let the devil trick you into thinking that Jesus doesn't care about your situation. I go back to, to Jairus, and imagine if Jairus would have sat at home and, and just thought, well, Jesus isn't concerned with, he's got a lot going on. Ah, why trouble him? Why should I trouble him with my little situation? My young lady, my young girl, she's sick. She, she lived a good life. God, is, uh, God can bless us with other children. Uh, let's just see what happens. But don't ever let the devil do that to you. Be bold. The word says we can boldly go to God. We can boldly come before the throne of grace. And so you can never let him trick you. But understand this, that Jesus, not only does he stand at the door and knock to come into your life initially. We understand that he's there for every sinner, everyone who, uh, who desires the Lord. He's standing there knocking for them. But I got a revelation about this thing, y'all. It's not just the one and done that Jesus was knocking. I let him in. That's the end of it. But what I understand now is that Jesus is knocking on the door of every situation that I'm even dealing with. <laughs> so not only did he come in and now give me new life and give me salvation, but now every situation that I can face in my life, Jesus is right there knocking saying, are you going to let me in? <laughs> or are you going to try to handle this all on your own? And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of trying to do things on my own. I found out that I can't make it on my own. And, and so I said, Jesus, thank you for your word that says I can cast all my cares upon you because you care for me. Don't push me too hard. I'm trying to get through this text. But Jesus, he wants to help you. He wants to come into your situation. The reason, I'm going to say this and I'm going to move. The reason why he seems so distant sometimes is because we just haven't stopped long enough to go open the door and let him in. And so I challenge you, every situation you're facing, see, do some, do some examination have I let Jesus into this situation or am I too busy trying to handle it on my own? Some of y'all, that won't matter to you for another few weeks, but it will come a time. But let him in to your situation. Let me keep moving. Here on verse, we're going to drop down to verse 49. While he was still speaking, <clears throat> while 
Jesus was still speaking to another situation. And if you read it, you'll see the, the story of the woman with the issue of blood kind of mixed in the middle of this story. But we're going to skip that for now and go to verse 49. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. So I, I want you guys to think about this because something very key happened here. So rewind, Jairus believed that Jesus could heal his daughter, right? That's, that's how this story started. He believed that Jesus could do it, so he went to him, begged him, and now Jesus is on his way. <clears throat> but now this, this person, this I'd, I'd like to think of them as a very well-meaning person, shows up as they're on their way and says, listen, no need to come any far. Thank you, Jesus. We appreciate your time. Jairus, good job of uh, wanting to go after this for your daughter. But uh, don't trouble Jesus anymore. She's dead. She's dead. The, the situation's over. She's dead, right? This person, I'm sure it was probably a friend of Jairus. I'm sure it was a well-meaning individual who didn't mean any harm but was just trying to be helpful. Be careful of those who always say, I'm just trying to help. Sometimes the things they're saying are more to your detriment than are actually going to help you. I'll just leave that right there. But you've got to be discerning of what's going on. This person believed, as any reasonable person would have, that this young girl's death was not clearly only the end for her, but it was also also the end of Jairus's mission. Now, I want you to catch this. Jairus was on a mission. He was on a mission for his daughter to be saved, for her to be healed. And so this well-meaning person comes with information that they thought was going to end the mission, that they thought it was going to be the end of it. Based on what this person knew, the situation was dead. I want y'all to catch that. Based on what this person knew, the situation was dead. The, the daughter is dead. Uh, Jesus is now wasting his time. Jairus, good effort, but you didn't get here in time. Let's move on. The situation is dead. But you've got to be careful of who you let tell you stuff. You got to be careful of it. I, I can remember a time in my life I got injured, uh, had a, a very bad injury. Most of you know about it uh, here in Lima. And I remember the doctor, the very well-meaning doctor, the educated one, the expert, he looked at my parents and said, I, I can tell he's an athlete. He got hurt, uh, you know, in a day full of playing games and athletics. But I'm telling you, based on what I know, based on what I know, he's probably never going to play sports again. It'll be a miracle to get him to walk normally and naturally, but as far as sports, based on what I see and based, and I believe his exact, his exact words were based on what I see and what I know, is he's never going to do this again. Hmm. Based, on what, based on what Dr. Senko, one of the most well-renowned doctors in this area, very well-respected man, based on what he knew, I might as well hang up the cleats. I might as well turn in the jerseys. Have you guys ever been in a situation where someone looked at what you were going through and tried to pronounce an outcome for you? Have you ever been there? Like they, they looked at your situation. They tried to tell you what that meant for you. <laughs> Ah, uh, they might have meant well. I don't mean to knock anybody who's coming to try. You know, we've got to be gracious when people come and give us advice. I listen to you, but I'm only going to necessarily apply it if I feel like it's right. But I'll give you an ear for a second. But you've got to understand, everybody that comes to you, well, even if they say it's from the Lord, you've got to watch. 
And you've got to make sure that what they're saying lines up with your spirit. They might have meant well. They might have even been an expert in that particular field. But the truth is, they were just basing things off what they saw. (laughs) They were just basing things off what they saw. But I hear the Bible tell me that the just shall live by Some of y'all missed it. They were basing things off of what they saw, but the Bible says that the just shall live by The just shall live by faith. The Bible, the Old Testament even takes it this way and says the just shall live by his faith, meaning it's a personal faith. I can't live by my grandmother's faith. I can't live by my spouse's faith. I've got to live by my faith. Somebody say, it's got to be mine. Yes, you have to live by your faith. I I didn't want my sports career to be over at the age of 12, and so guess what I did? I I listened to what they said to do. They said, well, here's some things you can try and see what happens. I said, well, guess what? I'm going to find out what happens. And I did my rehab. I did my little therapy. I put on my little brace they told me to do. I did all the little uh, calf raises and all the stuff they said to do because I had faith to believe that my story was not going to end there. I had faith to believe it, but guess what? I also hear James say that faith without works is... So I could have all the faith I want, but if I didn't put some work into action, there was nothing that was going to happen. So your faith is great. Your, your faith is great, but the word says, show me, you show me your faith without works. Go ahead, try, try to do it. Try to show me your faith without works. I'll show you my faith by my works. <laughs> Sometimes we get it wrong. We get the first half of the equation, and then we wonder why nothing happened. You didn't work that thing. Look at somebody. That's good right there. Look at somebody and tell them, you better work that thing. (laughs) Because you can believe it all you want, but if you don't put some work behind it, nothing is going to happen. I'm helping somebody this morning. I don't know who it is. And so... (laughs) You've got, to, you've got to have the faith. You've got to have the works behind it to show your faith. But we're going to finish this text here. Verse 50, and I love this part. I'll be honest with you. This part, it, it gets me excited thinking about it. Everything, I talked to Elder White, everything that God does is intentional. Somebody say intentional. Nothing is by coincidence. Nothing's by happenstance. But notice what happens here in verse 50. But when Jesus heard it, heard what? When Jesus heard the news. When Jesus heard that she's dead, don't trouble the teacher. Notice what happens here. Notice (laughs) Jesus looks at Jairus. Now, there's a few different accounts of this story, and they're all very similar. But notice that Jesus looks at Jairus immediately. One version implies that he immediately looked at him and said, Do not be afraid. Only believe. And she will be made well. Now, very simple. We use that. We quote that all the time. But notice this. Before we're even told how Jairus reacts to the news, Jesus steps into the equation and gives Jairus a word. (laughs) How many times have you been in a situation and before you even have a chance to process what happened, Jesus steps in and gives you a word in your spirit? (laughs) <laughs> or, or maybe not in your spirit, but he uses someone else that you think is randomly showing up to drop a word in your spirit, and you say, that had to be from God. 
Because Jesus cares that much. Sit down, Shada. You're pushing me too much. Jesus cares too much. He's not even going to give me time to ponder that news. I, I thought that was amazing that the, the scripture doesn't even say Jairus had time to react. Jesus stepped in and blocked him and said, oh, no, Jairus, don't be afraid. Only believe. She will live. <laughs> oh, thank you, Lord. And so uh, sometimes God will give you a word that doesn't make sense to anybody else. Can you imagine that person who brought that news, what they thought, if they even heard it? Because sometimes God will speak a word just to you, and it's just for you. Nobody else can even hear it. No one else can even understand it, but somebody had to have heard it for them to be able to record it. So I don't know if Jairus heard it uh, or, or not, or if the person rather heard it or not. But can you imagine, let's say they did hear Jesus, who was just informed that she was dead, now turning to Jairus and saying, don't worry, Jairus, she'll be all right. Can you imagine what that person must have been thinking? <laughs> okay, Jesus, we'll see. When you get there, you'll find out how, just how dead she is. And so you've got to understand also as, we're, as they continue on this journey, and I'm, I'm almost through, as they continue on this journey, Jairus is now jostling with two thoughts, right? Uh, it doesn't say how much longer this journey was. It could have been a few hours. It could have been a few days for all we know. But all we know is that now Jairus is stuck between two opinions, he stuck between the, the, the knowledge that he was given that says that your daughter's dead, this mission is over, and he stuck between the word that Jesus said, which is don't be afraid, only believe. Can you imagine the war that had to be going on in his mind? That my daughter is dead, they say, but Jesus says she'll be alive. I can't even imagine what he had to be battling with. But in verse 51, it says, when he came into the house, that's Jesus, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and the mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. She is not dead, but sleeping. Now, some people like to look at this story and say, well, she wasn't actually dead. She was just kind of in a coma. Uh, uh, she still, you know, she, whatever the case, however we like to explain stuff away that we don't know how to deal with. We try to explain it away, but I got news for you. This girl was dead. How do I know she was dead? Well, in the Jewish tradition, it was custom and it was actually mandatory for when someone died, they had to do a couple, they had to do a couple of things according to their tradition. Number one, they had to have minstrels come. So people who would come and play flutes or music to signify the death and to, uh, in their own way, celebrate what's happening. And then they also had to hire what they called the wailing women. The W-A-I-L-I-N-G, wailing, the women who were crying and mourning, and they were professionals. Their job was literally to come and cry and be all extra and make a bunch of noise over this person that had died. They were professionals. Now, even the poorest people, the, 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 the synagogue, the, the neighborhood made sure that even the poorest families were able to have at least one minstrel, or excuse me, at least two flutes and at least one wailing woman, one mourner. Even the poorest of people had this. So understand this. Jairus, being rich, being the in the position he was in, had multiple. They said there was a whole company of people doing this for him. So they had multiple people playing. Stay with me. They had multiple people playing, and they had multiple people wailing. 
and, and crying and mourning for this young girl. Now, how do I know that means she was dead? These people were not amateurs. Can you imagine? This is Jairus. He has position. He has prestige. He's hiring the best people. His family, his estate is hiring the best people for this job. These people knew death when they saw it. That's how I can say she wasn't just sleep. She, was, she wasn't just in a coma or something like that. She was actually dead. She was dead. As far as our knowledge goes, as far as we're concerned, she was dead. So uh, I want you to understand that because if you, if you take that away and say, well, she was just unconscious, then you're minimizing the miracle that happens. Don't minimize the miracle. And so she was, in fact, dead, which is why it's crazy for Jesus to come in and say, stop crying. Stop all this commotion. It says he literally kicked those people out. Y'all get out of here. <laughs> Y'all get out of here because she's not dead. She's sleeping. And what does verse 53 say? It says they ridiculed him knowing that she was dead. How could Jesus say she's just sleeping? She's not dead. Here's why. When it comes to life, we as human beings can only carry things in our mind as far as we're capable of. So, so the conclusion of the matter for this girl, her heart stopped, her vitals were gone, she was dead. But the great thing about God is he's not limited to our finite minds and to our finite understanding of things. This is why Jesus could look at her, her dead self, and say she's not dead, she's just sleeping. The people were right and Jesus was right. That's, 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 that's crazy. Some of y'all are like, that don't even make sense. But I'm telling you, she was dead as far as we were concerned. But as far as God was concerned, she was just sleeping. She was just taking a little rest. And so I got to keep moving. Uh, you see, you've got to be careful about measuring things based on what you know. I'm going to say that again. You've got to be careful of measuring things based on what you knew. What did they know? They knew she was dead. Right. But instead, you've got to measure things not by what you know, but by what Jesus says. Somebody ought to listen up as I'm saying this. You cannot measure things based on what you know, but you've got to measure things based on what Jesus says. It doesn't matter what you know. Because what you know is going to hit its ceiling at some point. There's only so much you can know. Even the most educated people in the world, there's only so much that they can know. Instead, you've got to measure by the things that Jesus said. And so they ridiculed him. This is my verse of, of our attention this morning. They ridiculed him knowing that she was dead. What does it mean to ridicule? It means that Jesus in this moment was subjected to insults. He was subjected to scorn and mockery. Can you imagine these professional people? They're playing their instruments and they're mourning. They're crying loudly and calling on God on behalf of this family. And then Jesus walks in and says, she's not dead, she's sleeping. I can imagine them just stopping and saying, wait a second and start laughing at him. And they, they begin to throw insults at him and call him crazy and all kinds of things because according to what they knew, he was wrong. He was wrong. They made a mockery of him. But verse 54 says, but he put them all outside. He took her by the hand and he called saying, little girl, arise. 
this dead girl. First off, Jesus just broke the law there because you should not touch anything dead according to their tradition. And so he already is on strike one, and he grabs her by the hand, and he lifts her up. It says, little girl, arise. And it says, then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately. And he commanded that she be given something to eat. I said as I take my seat, I was going to give you three things today. Number one, awareness. The awareness that your reality is not always reality. And here it is. There is only one truth. Somebody say there's one truth. I know there's a big social media uh, frenzy about your truth, my truth, their truth. Everybody has a truth. Sounds good and it's nice and inclusive for everyone. But the, the reality is there's only one truth. There's one thing that's true. Everything else is wrong. Now, who knows that truth? Sometimes it may be, I might have be true about something. I might, you might have the truth about a different situation. But there's only one truth in every situation. Somebody say one truth. Therefore, if there's only one truth, that means there's only one reality. There's only one reality. So why does it sometimes seem like some people live in another world? Have you ever met somebody and you're just like, they, they live in another world. I don't know where they're from, what they're talking about. They must be in another world. The reason that happens isn't because there's actual, actual different realities. I don't care what they talk about with science. There's one reality. It's the truth of God, and that's where we are right now. But those people have created a fantasy world for themselves. And it's not for us to sit back and laugh at them say, and say they're crazy. We've done it too. I've been there. Such were some of you. But we create fantasy worlds in our mind about who we are. We create fantasy worlds in our mind about who God is to us. And we step out of reality. I'll give you an example. Uh, reality, uh, having a fantasy world manifests in a couple different ways. It manifests when you're young. I can attest to it because my son, my oldest son, lives in a fantasy world right now. I'll tell you why. We went to a store the other day that he's never been to. We went to Meyer. He's never been to Meyer. I never go there. But we went because there was one thing I needed from there, and only Meyer had it. And so he said, oh, man, Meyer, that looks cool. I said, yeah, you've never been there. He said, yeah, but I already know what it looks like. I said, how do you know what it looks like? I knew he's never been there. I said, how do you know what it looks like? He said, because I just used my supervision to look in there. In his fantasy world, that's, that was his reality. He's got super speed. He's got super, he'll tell you about it if you ask him. But as a child, we create these fantasy worlds. And, uh, and so we laugh and that's cute, but understand once we get older it's not cute to live in fantasy worlds anymore but how many times do we get caught in fantasy world thinking things like god doesn't care about me <laughs> thinking things like god uh, isn't able to help my situation thinking living in a fantasy world thinking yeah that word might apply to everybody else but that just don't apply to me has anybody other than me ever been stuck in your own fantasy world but the truth is i'm here to call you out of that and to step into the reality of who you are in Jesus. Stop thinking about what you know so much. I can't tell you how sick and tired I get of hearing people say, yeah, I know, I know that's what the word said, but I know what it looks like. You ever heard somebody say that? I, I've been there before. I know. I know how this goes. I, I know how this ends up. But you've got to stop operating based off what you know. I, I'll say it again. I'll say it 10 more times. Stop operating by what you know and start operating by what he says. Somebody give God a praise right there. Let me hurry through these last two points here. 
Point two, how to know if what you're seeing is what's really going on. It's simple. It's simple. The way you stop worrying, the way you know if what you see is what's really there, measure it against the word. And I'm going to give you one scripture and tell you how. This one's simple. This one's going to be quick, y'all. All right? It's simple. The word tells me if what I'm seeing is what it's actually there. Psalm 119, verse 105. I didn't tell them to put it up there. But it's, we all know it. The word is a lamp unto my, and a light unto my. Okay, so the word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. As I was breaking that down, I'm like, I've never realized how redundant that scripture is. First off, what is a lamp unto my feet? What does that even mean? Right? And why does he mention it twice? A lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You see, a lamp and a light in this context mean two different things. A lamp is useful for seeing things that are up close. When you think of a lamp, it's a small light, right? It, typically, you think of a lamp, you're picturing somebody carrying a little lamp, right? Or it's a little lamp sitting on a table. It's only going to help the immediate vicinity. A lamp is used to see things up close. So when it says that the word of God is a lamp unto my feet, what it's saying is that at times I need to use the word to show me where I am. I want you guys to catch this real quick. Stay with me. I know I've held you, right? Stay with me. The, the lamp, sometimes the word is useful for being a lamp to, to my feet to show me where I am, right? And so that's important, right? I, I need the word to convict me, show me where I truly am. And so that's what the word will do. But the second part, notice the writer didn't stop there. He said, but it's also a light unto my path. Yes, a light is a more broader context than just a lamp. It's a more broader uh, uh, visual than just a little lamp. The writer says it's a light into my path. What that means is, yes, the word as a lamp will show you where you are, but the, the word of God as a light will show you where God is. Uh, they see the light is going to show you the path that you need to be on to get to where he is. So, how does, that come, how does that make sense with uh, uh, knowing if what I'm seeing is what's really there? Use the word. The word will show you if what I'm seeing is what's actually there or if what I'm seeing is really just a mirage. Is what I'm seeing really just based on what I think I know? That's why we've got to get out of the mode of relying on what we know. Our last point here, why faith is more important than knowledge. Hebrews 11.1, 1, we all know it. It says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Most of us have no idea what that means. I'll just be honest. Why do I know that? Because it took me a long time to really say, let me stop just saying it and actually break down what that scripture means, right? So I'm going to help you all out. This is for free. It says, faith is the actual existence of things we hope for and the proof of real things that we can't see, right? You all like that one a little better? Faith is the actual existence of things we hope for and the proof of real things we can't see. The opposite of that is knowledge, right? Knowledge is facts or information or skills that are acquired through experience or education. So I'm trying to get you to see faith is so much better than knowledge. So many of us, so many times, I'm guilty of it. I do it every day. I rely on my knowledge more so than I rely on my faith. And it gets me in trouble every time. Faith is a better, a much better tool to live by because faith is actual substance, it's actual evidence, and it's actual proof. Knowledge is just facts, information, and education.
Knowledge can be distorted. Facts change. How many know facts change? Right? Facts change all the time. It could be one thing this morning and something different tonight. Both were true. Information changes as more things are learned. Education changes depending on who the teacher is. But one thing that's constant is faith doesn't depend on any of those things. Faith depends on God. Y'all getting sick of me this morning. Faith depends on God. And so I just want to encourage you to understand that it's no longer good. It's no longer beneficial to you to rely on what you know. If you rely on things that you know, you'll be stuck thinking that situations are dead that are actually just asleep. If you get stuck thinking and relying on things that you know, you'll stop looking to God for him to show up in your situation. And I just want to encourage you that as you continue in this thing called life, stop relying on things based up here and start relying on things based up there. Start understanding that it is God's word that is the thing that's taking me from earth unto glory. It's God's word that's the thing that's going to keep me as I move through this situation that I'm in. We've got to let God into the situation. Somebody say, let him in. Stop sitting back and saying this situation is helpless. Stop sitting back and believing that there's nothing that can happen. But you've got to know that Jesus is able. I'm going to go ahead and preach now. My dad told me to preach till you fall, son. And I said, Dad, I just want to talk. But he said, I need you to preach. And so I just want to encourage somebody that the time for relying on your mind is over. The time for walking by sight is over. It's time to start walking by faith. Look at your neighbor and say it's time to walk by faith. Put down your vision and thinking that everything goes according to what you know and start believing that the word of God is the lamp that it's supposed to be, that the word of God is the light that it's supposed to be. And then Jesus will have the ability to step into your situation and he'll be able to raise that dead thing and give it some life. How many need Jesus to say situation arise? How many need Jesus to stir up that dead thing that's in you? How many need Jesus to speak life into your situation? If you really believe it, you ought to open up your mouth and say, Jesus, I'm not walking by sight anymore, but I'm going to walk by faith. It's not, come on out of Corey, it's not based on what I know, but it's based on who he is. I'm going to say it one more time. It's not based on what I know, but it's based on who he is. It's not based on what I know, it's based on who he is. And as long as I keep that in my mind, as long as I keep that on the forefront, I never will go back to listening to those people who come with bad news. I'll never start giving myself over to the experts in my life, but I'll begin to believe that Jesus said this, and because he said this, that's what I'm going off of. Somebody ought to look at your neighbor and say, trust his word. 
Look at your other neighbor and say, trust his word. Don't worry about what the experts say because it is Jesus. And the word says that in Christ everything is yea and amen. For Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he did it back then, I know he can do it right now. If you believe he can do it right now, put your hands together and say thank you, Jesus. Everybody standing. Everybody standing all over the building. There is a problem that we're facing in society right now, and it is the problem of experts. Everybody's an expert. I can't tell you how many times over the last few years we heard the phrase, trust the experts, trust the experts. Almost to a, and I have no issue with people's education and their knowledge and their expertise. But after a while, trusting the experts can turn into an idol. Can I get a witness? Sometimes we begin trusting experts more than we begin trusting the word of God. And that's where it becomes a problem. Is trusting the experts in and of itself a problem? No. But when you begin to trust the experts more than you trust God's word, that's when you step into some dangerous territory. And the experts, they mean well most of the time, I guess. The person who brought that news to Jairus, they meant well. They were trying to save Jairus some time. But it wasn't about time. It was about the mission that he was on. It was about trusting in the one who told him. Remember, Jesus told him early on, right? He told him, I'll come with you. And Jairus had asked him, come with me, lay hands on her so she'll live. And Jesus said, okay. So that lets me know. Jesus said, okay, I'll do what you say. Let's go. Where are we, where are we going? But there were things that were sent to distract him. You've got to be aware of distractions. Don't let anybody speak something into your life. Don't let anybody give you a word. That's meant to derail you from your destiny. I'll say that one more time as I take my seat. Don't let anyone speak a word into you that is going to derail you from your destiny. How do I know, right? How do I know if what I'm seeing is what's actually there? How do I know if what they're saying is actually reality? Measure it against the word. Use that lamp to see where am I right now and use that light to see where is God. And if you do that, I promise you, everything that you need, everything that you even desire, God will do it for you. Even something as crazy as raising someone from the dead. I know we don't see it, but I'm crazy enough to believe it can still happen. Thank you for joining us. Please like our podcast and leave us a five-star review. God bless and have an amazing week.